0: It's Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show.
1: To the Gray Scott Show, coming at you on a Wednesday, 1033 The Goat, the greatest sports dog of all time, simulcast on 1420. I am happy to have you with me this morning. Thanks for hanging out. Let's hang. Let's have a good hang. Let's have a good hang. Right? Feeling better? Norm's not in here trolling me? Got a lot of stuff to get into today. Gerald Broussard will join me at 715. For a live segment, as he does uh, each Wednesday during football season. Jake Madison of Locked On Pels will join me in the 8 o'clock hour. The Pelicans um, preseason game last night. Preseason opener. Fun basketball. Dyson Daniels, the young rookie out of Australia. 19 years old. Looked good, especially on defense. Zion looked athletic, fast, the burst was there. It was fun. It was fun. I said yesterday I wasn't going to overreact to the outcome of the game, and I'm not. It was just good to see him on the TV. And now we wait another two weeks before their season actually tips off. They got four more preseason games, but yeah. We'll get into that. Uh, A player who was trending last night in the G League who has a name that is truly unbelievable you'll hear the audio of that shortly uh and uh, some thoughts on Aaron Judge's home run number 62 we also have open phone lines this morning as well 337-269-1077 for anyone that wants to jump in and get on the show as well whenever I'm not talking to G or Jake let's do it right now let's kick off the show just opening up the phone lines because uh, I think Josh is on line one. He obviously has something on his mind. Good morning, dude. What's up?
0: Good morning, man. How'd you little man? Uh, how excited did your little man get for the Pelicans? Huh. I'm sure he was excited. To well, he,
1: he was. He was. He was a little. He was mad at me. It, it started too late for him to watch. So, you oh, know,
0: oh, bad time.
1: He couldn't. He couldn't stay up. To, I mean, they tipped off at like eight forty, and it was a preseason game. Uh, so yeah. he was. You know, he wasn't happy with me, but. Uh, but yeah, he was excited. He, you know, he was asking. Quite, he was asking, "When are we going to go to a game?" I mean, he's yeah, he's he, he's all in at the moment. We'll see how long it lasts. But uh, you know, he's just a kid. But there is some undeniable buzz about the team right now that I'm I'm enjoying.
0: Yeah, it was it was good to see how fast and athletic they all looked and how they were moving the ball really well. I was really impressed with that that rookie Daniels. I think is his last name. He looked Dan Daniels. No, his, yeah, look, for
1: 19, his his defense was what I was impressed with. I mean, I, as far as the shooting goes, I mean, he scored 50 points. And, you know, at the end of the game, it was, you know, a few rookies and a lot of G League players on two-way contracts that won't play this season. Uh, he's not one of them. He'll play this season. But you saw him out there with the second unit, you know, early in the, in, in the second half when the Bulls had some starters out there. You saw him against some um, – you know, into the bench G League guys, and and it didn't matter who it was, you know, his defense, his timing, his spacing, as far as that goes, that's, that was great to see, man. I mean, I think he got up and like actually got a block on Vucevic at one point last night when I was just like, damn Daniels. I mean, I was, I was impressed by the defense, but we've heard about the defense, you know, and, and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be in the back end of the rotation, but I don't want to overreact to a preseason game, but defense is something, you know, the defense and the cohesion, um, you know, continuity is big for this team. You know, he's really going to be the only new piece uh, that plays this year. I mean, Zion, he's not new, but he didn't play at all last year. But as far as a guy that's like now on the team that really hasn't been in the rotation at all the last few years, it's only going to be the rookie. So uh, I enjoyed watching him.
0: Yeah, he, he he had some good uh good handles and his, his passing was really good. He had like a, a couple really smooth passes. Uh before I hang up and listen though Scott, I just wanted to point it out. I was trying to listen to it on one oh three three and I told Lynn about this and I was listening to just now uh Fleetwood Mac. It's some rock station in Bataroo. So How far, I, I how, far how far how far out are you?
1: Are you outside of the Lafayette city limits?
0: I'm on Verot School Road right now. That's where I was. Listening, well, we'll,
1: what we'll, I got. Uh, well, you get simulcast on 1420, and we'll, uh, we'll be talking to... Uh, no, I appreciate you letting me know. I will talk to the uh, engineer today.
0: All right, buddy. Have a good one.
1: Thank you, brother. I mean, I like Fleetwood Mac, too, but come on. Maybe it was just me, Josh. You know, sometimes I just break out into song. And I saw my reflection, in a- I don't really know the words to landslide, but Gypsy is a good Fleetwood Mac song. Maybe not one that I could sing. I mean, it's kind of early in the morning, you know, my voice, you know. So I'm back to the velvet underground. I see a gypsy. ESPN, uh, excuse me, not ESPN, 103.3 The Go. Good morning. Welcome in.
0: Hey, good morning, Scott. How you doing this morning? Good, Coach. What's up? Hey, got a question, Scott. LSU is going to play Tennessee this Saturday, and I think the game's at Tiger Stadium. If I'm not mistaken, it
1: is. It's a Tiger so, Stadium. It it kicks off at 11 a.m.
0: Okay, great, Scott. I'm looking. I've looked at the records. Tennessee is four and I think, and LSU. They should be what four and one or three and one? They're four and one. Okay. <laughs> what can you tell us in reference to these two teams when they meet on the gridiron this Saturday that we should be looking out for? Because the Tennessee volunteer fans over the past two years at the most, I would say for myself, they've been building momentum over there. And the fans are jacked up in Tennessee and the way they feel about their. Well, I, I don't know that, I don't know that
1: I wouldn't describe it as has been building. I think they've got a new coach and, um, mm-hmm. and, in and, 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 coach Hypel that they, you know, that, that's why they're feeling good about it. I mean, once they got rid of Pruitt and, and brought in Hypel, I think, mm-hmm. you know, they felt like maybe this is finally the first guy that's going to be able to win here since, you know, Philip Fulmer did it a long time ago. Now, you know, that was last year they brought him in and you saw some improvement. I mean, they weren't great, but they had a winning record. You know, they, I think they were seven and five in the regular season. Uh, So you started to see some growth, you know, he got into a bowl game Um, and and now in year two, you know, Tennessee has been hungry for a winner for a while. Uh, They just Uh haven't been, you know, they've, they've kind of been near the bottom of the sec for, for a number of years now. And so, for a fan base that's just craving it, they're yeah. they're ready for it. Um, and LSU, you know they 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 it's it's going to be, I think it's going to be a LSU, good game. LSU,
0: LSU, LSU's LSU's offense. Their quarterback, he 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 he. he, 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 he I want to use the word he's jumpy to me, and he's uncertain to me when he comes out of that pocket or when he's in gun and the ball is snapped to him and he's holding that ball. It's almost like he know what the play was that was called. And all of a sudden, when the action starts, when that ball is snapped to him, it's like, hurry up. He's, He's like, I don't know. I feel like he's panicking. And I saw coach one game in the third quarter of a previous game, that Coach Kelly had to nearly yell at that that young man from the sideline. And once he got him to look at him, and Coach Kelly was like going through and coaching them right there about what they do at practice, and he better not have that again because if he does, maybe he might remove him out of the game and get the other guy in there. And that guy began playing better. Tell me about where the youth where where does shoes stand with the quarterbacking? Situation well, they need to push right the ball now?
1: down the field a little more, right? Um, Jane Daniels said as much yesterday. Uh, he said, and I quote: "Obviously, you are going to have to push the ball downfield. We know how explosive our offense could be." Um, mm-hmm. You know he he got a little nicked up against Auburn, um, had a bunch of fluid in his knee, but he's being treated. They expect him to be back, uh, and he had a players only meeting with the with the receivers. Uh, on Monday of this week as well, did Jaden Daniels. He said, you know, they they wanted to – they're working on some trust. They're working on some rhythm. Um, You know, but Daniels is saying all the right things this week. Um, He's excited to, to, you know, about – he's – there's – I think – I don't remember the exact quote um, from Brian Kelly, but it was something about there's a difference between being on the edge aggressively and being reckless – and yeah, they gotta figure some things out in the passing game. They really do. And and Kelly wants Daniels to be more aggressive throwing the ball. Um but his former O. C. at uh at Arizona State, Jaden Daniels' former OC, said look, he's he's a guy that will play you into games and play you out of games with his legs sometimes. You know, sometimes he's going to leave good plays on the table, but you don't want to take away his best attribute because sometimes what he does with his legs, you know, will help win you games. So it's kind of the conundrum you got with him, and it's up to Brian Kelly to, you know, help him figure out that balance. But I, I expect a, I expect a close – It's gonna I, whoever wins on Saturday at Tiger Stadium, it's going to be a one-possession game. I expect a close game.
0: I'm going to close with this. When our friend comes on later to talk, he's really going to be talking sports in general, but he's coming to talk UL football. I want to listen very closely to everything he's going to be saying about our UL program because he knows it from an inside perspective, and he can help out get a lot of – he can settle down the natives. (laughs) That's what I would say. We'll see. I look forward to LSU – and Florida when they come together later on down the road because the quarterback situation at Florida with Napier and them always reminds me of the LSU current situation at quarterback, and I look forward to seeing that game. You guys have a good one. I look forward to hearing my friend later on when he comes on, and he's going to be talking UL football.
1: Thank you, Coach. We'll talk more than just UL, but yeah, G will talk UL. You won't have to wait long for Florida either. You got Tennessee Saturday, and then a week later, LSU's playing in the swamp at Gainesville. Week from Saturday, six o'clock kickoff. When we come back, we'll talk to Gerald. Yeah, we'll talk UL football. Also, going to talk about um, a a a player in the G League that was trending on social media, who had a name that I God bless him. That last name is it's something. It's something. You just tell him hi, and you mention his last name. If if, some, if, if if a woman's around, they'd be like, excuse me? Find out what it is next on 103.3 The Goat, the greatest sports talk of all time. Mess with the goat.
0: You'll
2: get the
1: horns, then the butt.
0: Because
3: that's what goats do. 103.3 The Goat.
1: Welcome back into the great Scotch show. 103.3 The Goat. Simulcast on 1420, the greatest sports talk of all time. Gerald Broussard joining me live. He joins me every Wednesday during football season. Next Wednesday, he'll be in West Virginia getting ready to call a football game. But uh, today he is... Somewhere else on the road for his uh, line of work and what he does. And he's busy, but always makes time for us, which we appreciate. Good morning, G. How are you?
3: I'm doing good, Scott. Actually, out in Midland, Texas. Uh, Got a a move out going this morning. Got got a bunch of trucks out here and some people doing some work. And uh, looking forward to a beautiful day. Going to cook for some customers on a rig today. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Got my Cajun gear on, and I'll have to explain some of that at times. But that'll be all right.
1: All right, so w- with that, I- I'm going to open up the show or open up the segment, rather. You know, you're, you're in the booth. You do some broadcasting, right? You've been doing it for a little while now. I mean, we're we're over a decade in now, where you've you've done it at various levels, right? Whether it be on the uh, for Learfield calling Cajun games, you've been on ESPN. You've you've done high school. You've kind of run the whole circuit. What, like, what's the most difficult name for you to say? Do you remember, was there ever a time where you saw a name and you were like, wait, what?
3: Oh gosh, that, that's been a, a bunch of different ones. And look, a lot of it is some of the foreign athletes that, that we deal with. I know Rice had a defensive end. I, I didn't even try. And, and, you know, we know Jay, uh, Jay Walker real well. And, and Bird birds never met a name. He doesn't like, you know, so he'll put forth the effort into going and I just agree with him on it. Um, and, you know, so I, I guess the older I get, the more difficult it is to, to just have a memory because I get to, to speaking faster than I'm thinking and I'll butcher names and I know that, but you know, I always refer to it as it, it's, it's to, to me doing the broadcast. And you're right. I've been doing it a long time. Um, it's still just a hobby. I mean, I'm not a professional broadcaster. I know that I say some things and tell some stories at times, and that are you know maybe better left unsaid. But when you just get to visit with your partners up there, sometimes it just comes out. And then when I start saying some of them, I, I like I said, I, I I just don't even say them anymore. I just I kind of refer back to say, hey, whatever Jay said or whatever, because the, the, the play-by-play guy, he he's got to call a name. And uh, you know the analyst, we get away with not having to call a name. We just say, "Yeah, it, what he says is right."
1: There it is. Well, with that, um, this is a name that is not difficult to pronounce. But there is a player. I won't even get into the player that that. There's a player that's probably going to be the top pick in the NBA draft next year. That's that plays in in in, in France. Um, and some of his highlights started trending last night. But what happened as a result? Was that someone else playing in the game? Who is a 34 year old power forward and has been playing professional basketball since 2008? Not in the states. I, I erroneously said NBA G League earlier. It was not in a G League game. Uh, currently praying for the Metropolitan's 92 team uh, out of Paris. Um, and the only reason I'm bringing him up is Gerald. This this. This is his name. This is the broadcaster last night. They had a, 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 an American broadcaster calling the game. Uh, it was being played in the States, and part of it was to showcase this other talent. But this is this, uh, this, is this young man's name. A song curling off the screen, driving baseline. Ho, oh, you fat with a three. Yes, I just said that. That is that man's
0: name. Don't be happy.
1: His last name is <laughs> Ho, you fat. His name is Stevie Ho You Fat. He's from uh, French. Uh, he's, from, he's from France, I guess. I mean, the man's last name is Ho You Fat. H O Y O U F A T, exactly like it sounds. I'm not. I, I, I'm not even trying to make a joke. I'm not. It's just I couldn't. I was like, wait. Wait, 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 wait! This can't—that's his real name, and I know it's a different language in a different country, and I get all that. But Gerald, man, I mean, Ho You Fat—are are you? Are, are, do you wish you could call a game where a player on the opposing team, or even if the Cajuns recruited a player, if his last name was Ho You Fat, you can't—you can't say his name in the presence of a woman. They'd be—they'd slap you. They'd be like, "What did you just say?" Hey, okay,
3: am I am I bad if I say I would say that one?
1: Yeah, I would really like really A curling off the screen, driving baseline. Oh, you fat with a three. Yeah. <laughs> <What's> his name? <laughs> it's crazy.
3: So, you know, Rice, Rice had a player, I think it was spelled T-I-T-R-E, but it was pronounced like uh, a breast. You know, Right, word right, right. right. Luckily, he didn't make a play because our buddy Jay Walker. Oh,
1: he, was he was ready. Was, he had that one locked and had. loaded
3: highlighted. highlighted. I couldn't
1: <laughs> wait to say. I could only imagine how Jay would handle ho oh, you fat. ho <laughs> oh, you fat. It's it's just it's why well, I figured we'd start on that note. The guy, I mean, he's trending now. Everyone's trying to go buy a a you. Metropolitan's 29ers. I don't even know what that that team name references because I'm not Excuse me, Metropolitan's 92. I'm uh, I'm just, you know, I'm not you know, I know some sports, G, but you know, French basketball isn't isn't really anything that I'm I'm well versed in. But now I know of a player named uh, Stevie Hoyufat. Um and and best of luck to him. <laughs> Shout out to that guy who's getting more more rub uh and more coverage than he ever has, and he's been playing professional basketball since two thousand and eight. With that, Gerald, let's shift gears. And um let me ask you this. If you caught the the Aaron Judge home run ball. What would you do with it?
3: Oh, it's mine. I'm not giving it back. I'm not selling it. It's mine.
1: Oh, you're just it's, you're you're keeping mine. it.
3: Oh yeah, it's going to be Vances. You yeah. give it to
1: your grandson. All right. Well, you got a lock yeah. – You better lock that thing up though for a while.
3: It'll be all right. I, look, I promise you. You'd have to mean it to come get it. You'd, I'm just telling you what I know. That would and, and the, the, I tell you, I saw a friend of mine when we were driving out here Monday. Uh, a guy I used to work with at Stephen F. Austin, we stopped at, we'd be in Cape Coma, our president, myself. We're driving uh, along with our sales girl. And um, anyway, we stopped at the Bucky's in Terrell. And I'm looking at, you know, you could feel people looking at you. And so I, I look over and I said, golly, that looks like my buddy Dan Easton, who was our street coach at Stephen F. Austin. It's kind I haven't seen him in 12 years. But because of Facebook, everybody recognizes everybody, you know, even though you hadn't seen him. So I go see him, and his kids are in Yankee gear. His son is, and I said, well, Oh, we're going to Arlington for the game. You know, we're going to catch the, the home run. But d- they were a day early. You know, they just um, find a little irony in it. And I asked him. I said, "What are you going to do with the ball?" He said, "I'm going to make a mint." I said, "Bro," I said, "You have to keep it." He said, you "Have to? There's no way I'm keeping it." I said, "Oh no, there's no way you're getting it from me. I, no, I would, I would so want to have it and and um, and have it for Vance. And look, if Vance wants to give it away, he can give it away. But no, no, that's mine."
1: i I would sell it I mean I'm not I would sell it to the highest bidder. <laughs> it's so <laughs> highest bidder. that's it. that's all it is I, I find the whole thing strange i mean i I get that I get that there's some baseball purists out there and all that other stuff, but like I, it's not the record
3: it's not but and that's what I believe too. that's why I, I don't know that that you're gonna get what it is for it. I just think it's a neat story. I, I like the guy. I think he's a good player. I like his story. I like, sure. you know, all of that stuff. Part of my, you know, and, and look, if, if, if there's a Barry Bonds ball, I'll probably keep it, too. But, but look, Barry Bonds has the record. You know, to me, that's the record. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, it's, man, especially Maris doing 61 in 61 and me turning 61, all the 61s and all that stuff. I'm about, about done with the Maris stuff. So this was good to kind of get it over with and stuff.
1: But, yeah, uh, I was I'm glad watching you – know, I'm with you. I, I I was just glad when I was watching a preseason NBA game that they weren't cutting in at every at-bat. They at least know their audience on <laughs> TNT. Um, you know, to me, uh, with respect to guys like John Heyman and these, you know, uh, self-proclaimed baseball purists and all that stuff, the debate doesn't end until someone hits 74. It doesn't. Sure. You know, they, sure. they can pretend like it doesn't exist – or they can pretend it doesn't feel the most authentic or memorable the fans. I don't care how many times you cut in for the homer. It ain't the record. It's not. With respect to Judge, I, I, I got nothing against them either. I'm with you. I, I I swear to God, I'd say the same thing if a Met was hit in 62. I'm like, no, like it's, it's not the record. Well, it's the American League record. Okay, I've never seen an American League record have so many cut-ins and a ball celebrated for getting hit that might fetch $2 million. Like... Now, if I had caught that ball, oh yeah, I'd be telling everybody this is the true record. Am I, mean, I going to raise the value on that sucker for the you know, let's let's not let's not and, and and shout out to the guy in the in the stands that just leapt over the railing. Wasn't even close, like didn't catch the ball, but he just jumped out of the railing into the bullpen. Who knows what happened to him? He might have gotten seriously hurt, but just in case that thing was dropped, he was ready to risk it all. No guts, no glory, man. Just go for it.
3: I mean, look, it's all about effort. You know, you've got to be there, and 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 you know it's a, what they say. Luck is when, when the opportunity meets preparation. Man, that dude put himself in a position to get lucky. do get it. You know, do get yeah. it. No, and, and look, all of the stuff with like that's got we know it's all revisionist history. You know, and then but and all the self-proclaimed stuff, you you hit it on the head with self-proclaimed. You know, so. Uh, but like you said, going back to the original question, yep, Vance uh, and I are gonna—we're we, not gonna play catch with it. We're not gonna do that like in Sandlot. You know, no, but, but, no. Uh,
1: my grandfather. So my 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 late grandfather, my dad's dad, he actually uh, spent a lot of his childhood in Kansas, which I've—I don't think I've ever even been to Kansas. But when he was a kid, when he was young. Uh, he, at one point was basically across the street from where the Yankees would do, um, some, some training at times. Uh, it might, maybe it was, he also lived in Florida for a portion of his, of his childhood. I don't remember which state he was in when it happened, but they were just across the street, right? Doing spring training, all this stuff. Guy got, you know, bats, ball, all this stuff from freaking like legends, like mantle. I mean, we're talking legends. And I mean, he lost them all. He was a kid. He just played with them all. He got older, and he was just like, he was was one of his great regrets in life. He was like, God, if only I had known, man. If only I had known, I just lost all these <laughs> gloves, all this stuff. I had no idea of this, you know, that this thing would accrue value over time. But yeah, he used to he, he used to have stuff from. Babe Ruth and and Mantle and others apparently. I don't know. I mean, it could be a fish story. It might have gotten bigger with time, but he swears he had these things, and he just lost them all. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But uh, yeah, if I caught that ball, that thing is is going in a safe, and then I'm just I'm just waiting. I'm just let let that thing accrue in value and hope that that he doesn't hit a sixty third. Right? Because what what happens if he hits another one? Like what happens to the sixty two ball? Does anything? Does it just? Does it lose value? I don't I don't know how all this stuff works, G. Well,
3: I do think it will lose a little value. But then you've got to hope for 64, and then you got three, and you can juggle. Right. You
1: know, <laughs> oh, that's oh! That's if you, you just go ahead and catch all of them. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Judge's place in uh, in history. We'll, we'll revisit that. Uh, Gerald Broussard, our guest, is the great scatcher, 103.3 The Goat. Assault curling off the screen, driving baseline. Oh, you fat with a three. Yeah. All right, Gerald. Let's talk Cajuns now. Um, tell me something good, man. Uh, I've it was it was a, it was a tough loss Saturday. Um, they've lost three in a row. I know that a lot of fans and, and ones that listen to this and call in they're they're upset. I get it. I, I I can point to positives. I can point to negatives. I can look at the overall picture. Before we start, you know, digging into the offensive line and other things, just tell me something good about the team uh, first and foremost.
3: Well, and, and look, I was talking a little bit at halftime with a, you know, a guy that we know used to be in the in area, Dave Schultz, who's in the Mobile area now, and he came up around the, where we were during during half, and he said, "Man, what 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 is this? What is this?" He was talking about how bad South Alabama was playing. And he said, I don't know if it's just them or if it's the Cajuns. And, look, the, the thing was is that it was the Cajun defense making South Alabama look bad. Uh, now, look, South Alabama dropped a couple balls and all that stuff. I understand that. But that's just that's kind of what they are. We've seen that happen with the Cajun receiving core. And, and, you know, there's some, there's some consistency in their inconsistency, they being South Alabama's offense. But watching them through the year, Scott, that was a good football team. And they, the Cajuns made them not look as, near as good as they've looked coming into the game. I think that the Cajuns got after it on both sides of the football. I think there were some opportunities there. You know, I mentioned during the game that if the Cajuns go for two, they're there, and I thought that they could have or would have when Jay and I, we talked about it in a booth. You know, Craig and Cody would kick it. Jay and I would go for two. And, and um, you know, the bottom line is it really didn't matter because South Alabama went down and got the field goal and was going to win whatever decision he made. If you don't get them stopped. But I, I think there were some positives in there. I think there is some concern on the health of the quarterbacks that, that needs to get fixed up a little bit. I think that, you know, uh, the running backs and, and the offensive line started to show flashes of being able to gel. I think schematically, there are some, some things that are, can grow, you can grow with offensively to, to move the football. It's just going to come with some consistent play out of the quarterback position and everybody else around them. But defensively, I think they continue to grow. The defensive line, I think, is playing very well. Uh, Scott, we're good in the back, too. I mean, we really are good in the back. And, and um, you know, they, they can make some plays and can run. You still, you know, there's uh, the, the big plays that you got to minimize every week when you play. But, you know, I, I look at the, the season and how it's been, and then, you know, you, you haven't. We know that the Cajuns haven't played near as well as they've played in the past, and near as well as we thought they were going to play. You're two and three, and your three losses. You feel like, golly, if we could just play just a little bit better, you know, five and zero is not out of the question, even though you're two and three, based on how your opponents played the day you played them. And um, it's also the Cajuns haven't played good enough, but they're not that far from making some plays and having some success and some consistency in there, it just, look, it, it's, and they may never get there. Uh, they may never get there this year, but the chance of them getting there, it's not like you've got to all of a sudden, you know, go from playing like you're playing to playing like world champs. You just got to get a little bit better. And I think you're going to be okay. Watching uh, Marshall and and, and i watched a little bit of the Marshall. I haven't finished watching what I want to watch of Marshall, but watching Marshall and Gardner Webb right now and stuff. And, and, and it's got to, Okay, that's a very beatable team in Huntington on Wednesday night. I know all of that. I'm sure they'll play better than what they showed and all that stuff. But, you know, Marshall is kind of one-dimensional on offense. My friend and a lot of people's friends in South Louisiana, Lance Gidry is doing a great job with their defense. I mean, they got some players back right there running around to make the plays. But, you know, you keep it a low-scoring game, keep it a one-scoring game, then you got a shot there. And, and uh, I, I, I just – i'm not I'm, I'm 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 disappointed a little bit with where the with the record is, but I'm not down or not ready to jump ship on them I think that they're 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 close to uh being able to turn around and and, and what turn it around is i think that's relative you know to where we are and where we're gonna be but uh, yeah i mean you're uh, not ready
1: to jump Joe Broussard, our guest one oh three three the goat um I was standing in the back of the end zone. Uh, for the Cajuns' final offensive drive, and then for South Alabama's final offensive drive. So, I didn't really get a look at at what UL was doing defensively. You know, I know there was talk of what well, you call a timeout when after or no, you don't. What was it? You don't accept the uh, you you don't accept the penalty. Yeah. You decline it. And, and there, there. Were, look, there are a number of big decisions in a close game when they don't go your way. They're going to be questioned. That's just how it is. And as the head coach, and and and. You know, Coach Desmo was asked about it, and I asked him about the timeout, and others asked him about the penalty. I, I want to ask you just about the defense. You know, I had someone call in uh, and say, you know, why did they run a prevent and only rush three? And I, I'll be honest. I mean, I I, I assume he was right, um, but I where I was standing, I couldn't even actually really. I mean, you know me, i I'm not tall. I was in the back of the end zone, and I'm I'm seeing the back of the South Alabama offense. Right, I didn't I didn't, and I didn't go back and like watch the game on TV after the fact. What were the Cajuns doing defensively on that last drive? And, and you know, I, I got into a discussion with somebody about quote prevent defense, which I think can be, you know, confusing at times of what it is or isn't. I've seen teams not run it, and I've seen it bite them in the butt. I've seen teams sometimes run it, and of course it bites them. And then I've seen other teams. Run something that's not prevent, but everyone just calls it that. Uh, wh- wh- do you remember what was happening defensively on that, that final uh, game-winning drive by South Alabama?
3: Well, number one, I don't think people know what prevent defense is. Uh, I really don't. Whether you're in a three-man rush or one-man rush or five-man rush, that does the number of people you have rushing has nothing to do with the defense you're playing. It's, it's. I mean, you can run a three-man rush and still not be in ban if you're covering people. It, it's. It's how. It's the depth of your safeties and what what you're allowing to be caught. Is, in front,
1: is, is basically, 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 how much space is. I mean, I'm very, very Cliff's notes, lame in terms of version, right? But how much uh, space the safeties are giving behind and yeah. in front of them.
3: And and also your second level players. What what are you willing to give up? Are you willing sure. to give up ten or twelve? Are you willing to give up twenty? Uh, are you are you preventing from just one deep ball? The Cajuns were not in prevent, and they did rush more. They had different rushes in a couple of plays as far as the number of people. And even if they only rushed two every time, they were still in coverage on the receivers. And look, uh, South Alabama was able to move the football. There were people, that, and then there's always a void in in, in Uh, in every coverage there's always a void which with the Cajuns what you don't want to do is give up the one big play you want to make the the team execute and all this stuff and credit South Alabama now once once South Alabama was going for the kick there was never a doubt in my mind that they were going to make it just because they had a good kicker that missed the kick last year to win the game and so uh you know he this one was different this one was to win the game but there was no loss tied to it. And I mean, the pressure of if you miss, you lose, was not there. The pressure was if you miss, we go to overtime. And so, you know, I, at the time I talked about going for two, uh, you know, the, the, the South Alabama was going to have another possession. Look, and I didn't think that they were going to go down and get in field goal range. But at worst, if they do, then you keep that pressure on the kicker of having a miss and you lose the game, which is what – it went through last year. Uh, but, um, you know, it's just... I, look, you know, and I'm with it, you.
1: And, and no one will ever, as far as the two-point thing goes, I said it there. I, 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 there were people standing by me. I said, go for two, go for two. Now, Coach said after the game, he didn't even think about it. Um, mm-hmm. We'll never know if it would have worked or not. Obviously, if you don't get it, it's kind of like a... You, you, you make the argument either way, right? Because a coach will usually sure. say, look, we had all the momentum. So I figured and and that's always like my point is always like yeah you know exactly you know what I mean um but you know he he's the coach said look it's not like offensively we've been sort of lighting it up and defensively we had, we'd play really well and that makes sense too as far as what goes into that decision you know what I mean like offensively yep. but I this and this isn't just just how I feel about the game saturday i mean i i i said it for lsu in the opener against florida state I say it all the time. I personally would always take my chances from 3 yards away for a win than maybe going for overtime. Now it wasn't that simple on Saturday because there was there was some time left on the clock. I get it. But I'm kind of that's always kind of my mindset like you give me 3 yards to get it in the end zone and that can win it. I'm going to take that over there's just a lot of different intangibles in overtime. That's just me. Everyone has a different philosophy, but I'm—I was kind of like you, and I know you and Jay were saying it on the broadcast. You know, Jay was talking about how you are—you are kind of first guessing it, and Cody was like, "No, you—you you know, you kick it." Craig was kick it. You and Jay were like, "I don't know, go for two. I mean, it's not—it's not something you can prove one way or the other unless they do it and then it works or it fails. But I—I'm uh, kind of of that mindset as well. Well, and, and
3: you know, when when the Cajun decided to kick it, then then Cody and Craig goes. Oh, you see, we were right. Well, no, you're not right. I mean, there is no right, you know. And the other thing, we call it first guessing, but you're really not first guessing because there's no accountability on our part. You know, we we it doesn't matter if, if they go for two and win the game. Oh yeah, we were right. Well, no, it just it just happened to work. But but Michael's the one that's got to live with it, and he's the one that's got. to right. account. it doesn't
1: matter what we say. Who cares? <laughs> no, it don't right.
3: matter. Do we're going to go back, and nobody's going to talk about us on raging and Paging and or anything like that. And if they do, they're really bored. But, you know, with that being said, I, you know, a lot of times going into the game, you will have that decision made. I mean, you'll know. Uh, and and you can do it with, you know, with, I know there were situations in there. And, and when I was coaching before, we'd say, hey, look, if given the opportunity at the end of the game, we are going to play. We're at home. We're going to play for the time, extend the game as long as we can extend the game. Other times, if we, you know if the other team is better than you, which you have to be very realistic about that, if the other team is better than you and you get a chance to win it, you win it. Because you don't want to extend the game. The the longer the game goes, a lot of times the cream will rise. The better team will make more plays. Uh, if you're on the road, you know, better or worse. If you're on the road, then you get a chance to win it. You win it because you don't want
1: to bring the crowd. And and, and, and like you're right. And also, how's your yeah. how's your kicking going that day? Because in overtime, it can turn that, into a kicking contest. And Kenny, while he hit a long one, it missed some short ones. It just it. Uh, that's you know, but, and, but, and but
3: we did talk yeah. about that on the broadcast. I didn't want it. That was part of what I said. I didn't want to put it on Kenny. Right. Didn't want to. And look, I'm a huge Kenny fan. I, I thought. I didn't understand why Kenny didn't start the season as the kicker now obviously Stafford beat him out during camp you know but, but Kenny had proved to me that he was going to be the kicker to start the year but now for whatever reason he he's not and now he you know his confidence level is shaken. and the other part of it Scott is that there's been some inconsistency in the kicking game you know had the, had the, the snap issue at at ULM the, the, and that's why I said, if you can shorten the game and have a chance to win it, then that's that's all I was thinking. But that doesn't mean I am right. It doesn't.
1: <laughs> it, 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 at it, the it, end of the day, too. The guys, I mean, yeah, South Alabama went down did. and did it. So I, bingo, bingo. It, that that's really what happened. And, and and it doesn't just come down to that defensive series either, because the defense played really well. The majority of the game, I mean, they held South Alabama to a season low by a lot. The lowest they had scored in the game going in was thirty one at UCLA. Um, offensively, G, it's just, you know, they kind of got the ball moving on the first drive a little bit and then shot themselves in the foot. And then the last two drives, they 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 ran it. But between that, they just, you know, you never really had a sequence of more than six plays until the last two drives. And, and offensively, I, I I said heading into the season, and you agreed with me, that offensive line was a question mark. You and I have, you know, you you played on the offensive line. You've coached the offensive line. You know more you have forgotten more about offensive line play than I'll ever know. So I ask you your honest opinion. Where is the O-line today compared to where they were at the beginning of the season, and how much better do you think they can realistically get here over the course of the next seven games?
3: I think right now, I think that there, there have been some improvements. I think that there are some improvements to be made. I think schematically, there, there are some things that you can do. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example of this, Scott. When South Alabama was trying to run football, it's a team that has been running the football well all year. When South Alabama, and I'm going to use some terms that I'm not going to define or explain what the terms are for just time's sake, but just some, some, you'll, you'll get the gist of it. When South Alabama was using a zone scheme, they could not run against the Cajuns. No, they just, the Cajuns were stuffing them. They just couldn't run against the Cajuns at all. A couple of times in there, which a few times in there, they, they uh, went and went to a gap scheme. And they were able to fit it up in there and, and had some success with it. When South Alabama tried to run the football out of 11 personnel or 12 or, or, or 10 personnel, which is three or four receivers, and they spread the Cajuns out, they were much more successful with their zone scheme. And, and so, if they wanted to run zone, as long as they st- spread the cages, they had some success. And then, why success? It was minimal for their success ratio, but still were able to move it, run it. Other than that, they could not, I mean, couldn't get a drop on the cages. When they tried to stay with their base group, which is two tight ends, and run the zone inside or outside, nothing. Now they could do some gapping and stuff and get some success. I say all of that to go back to the Cajun saying that there are some things schematically, Matt Vietor is in that staff room. Coach B and I used to go through some stuff when we were coaching together at Magnese, and he would always say going into the week, it's hard to run the football. We have to help our team to run the football. We have to do things to help our guys run the football. Sometimes that means throwing it. Uh, sometimes it means, you know, jumping formation, switching, going from zone to gap to big scheme, to all these different things to help your guys run the football. And I think there are some things that the coaching staff can do to help with that. I think there's some things that the team can do. The players will get better as they continue to work and have gotten better. I think there is some improvement in there. But I do think that there's, there's a wide range of improvement to be had, too. The other part of it is the backs. I mean, I think uh cabote has showed some flashes but he's fighting through some injuries chris smith i mean shows we know what chris can do but but to to be the lead guy it's been a bit of a chore And now you you got trail washington who's showing some flashes in there and it just but the consistency of it and and i know i know what people are going to say to it you know our program is bigger than this but when you lose what we lost it's gotta affect you and i say what we lost i mean you know, I, I heard how many times I hear, well, "I can't wait till Levi is gone." Man, you know, we can do so much more with a different quarter. Look,
1: which I always Levi thought, which was, I always thought was ridiculous. By the way, personally,
3: silliest thing my I ever heard in my life. Yeah. Silliest thing I ever heard in my life. At some point during the game when we were struggling and stuff, and I think uh, I was talking to a couple of guys, guys about this, and, and and I this is not my opinion. Somebody brought it to my my, my uh that made me think about it and they're totally right. At some point during the game, Levi would just drop back the pass, pull it down, and go prove he's the best player on the field. You know, outrun everybody, go score a touchdown. Did it against South Alabama, did it against Appalachian State, did it several times, you know, during the year. Or he'd make a throw or something like that. But, you know, when you lose that kind of explosiveness out of him. And we know what we lost at the running back position in there. We know what we lost at the offensive line position in there. That didn't. I'm not talking about the Levi's of graduation. Others were not through graduation, just through you know transfer portal. But to replace all of that and expect it to click right now is just a little wishful on our part. But that I think that we can continue to grow and progress. Yeah, I, I think that, the, that right now, and I think we are. I do think is as you know. It, it, As a whole game, this was the best game. As a whole game, Uh, but it wasn't good enough, and we still had, you know, Scott. Just look, if we make two field goals, we win the game. It's as simple as that, you know. At at ULM, if if we if we don't have two bad snaps, we win the game. And just and, and so as as struggling as we are right now, we are still. That close to being four and one and playing really bad against Rice and still you know losing by eleven. It's not like Rice blew us out. So I, I think with that we are just you know because of the success we've had and look I'm I'm happy with that. I'm glad that we're disappointed with being two and three. I'm glad about that. But am I ready to jump ship? No. I think we're really close to making it happen. And I think you know if we go and beat Marshall, we're back to five hundred. And then let's go play. We're in the belt. We know we can do it. And so, you know, I just, I, but you know, talking about the run game, talking about the offensive line, they are progressing. They are getting better. They are starting to gel, which you heard Michael have been here. Michael told it just takes reps, takes reps. The other thing about it Scott, you got to realize is we don't have traditional two days. Like we used to have now, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad that we don't because we used to beat people up and we were just trying to survive to get to the first game. But those lacks, lack of true full-speed reps that you have during the practice time, it's just minimized compared to what you have done in the past. So it's harder to be where you need to be. You know, it's going to take till midseason to get into midseason form. You know, you used to hear it. Oh man, we're in September, they're already in mid season form, but not not anymore. It's going to take till mid season. I just hope mid season form is good
1: enough to what we want. 103.3 The GOAT, Gerald Broussard, our guest. Um, gee, I appreciate you taking the time as always, man. Uh, I know that you're on the road traveling for work next week. You will be in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. I believe that is on the eastern side of the state. I just want to drive through West Virginia one day and just sing John Denver the whole time. Just drive through country roads and just listen to country roads and just live it, man. That's what I want to do.
3: So I went, I was in Pittsburgh when I was working for National Allwell and I was in Pittsburgh one day and I'm going down to the interstate going to call on some customers. I see a sign that talks about, uh, you know, University of West Virginia, but honey, we're going to Huntington. Morgantown is where you right, of to West Virginia. Right. right. And and so I see a sign from Morgantown and and I had a buddy of mine coaching at university of West Virginia, a guy named Joe DeForest who played with us at USL. And he's now at at North Carolina state. But so anyway, I what the heck I'm this close. I'll go. And so I just, I walked into his office and and he calls everybody. Like I say, the word Brim, Joe calls everybody, "Bruh." But I walk in, he says, "Bruh, what are you doing here? I said, dude, I got lost. He said, dude, you're really lost. And so I jokingly tell him, and then I, I said, man, I said, this is different terrain. He said, dude, this ain't the swamp now. I mean, and I'll, I'll just say, it's not the swamp. It's, uh, it's, it's mountains, it's chilly, and then there are different parts of the state that are different. But uh, from what I've driven through and stuff, I'm just telling you, Scott, it ain't the swamp.
1: No, it's not. But have fun. Things from John Denver when you're there. I don't know if we'll have you on next week, G. I know you'll be there. We'll, we'll figure something out. If you can, great. If not, we understand. But... Uh, before I let you go, I just I, I need your thoughts on one more thing, the last thing. So I just want you to listen to this and then share your thoughts. A song curling off the screen, driving baseline. Oh, you fat with a three. Yes.
3: <laughs> Do you hear the envy in my chuckle?
1: <laughs> oh, you fat. Uh, for anyone that didn't hear the entire segment, they're like, what in the world is happening? Well, uh, I'll try to explain in the next segment. Got a number of things to get into. Gerald, man, I appreciate it, brother. Have uh, have fun and be safe on the road, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Always, always fun. Oh, and I'm sorry. Hey, no, yeah. yesterday was your birthday. Happy birthday. Yes, I know I texted you. I know it's not actually today, yeah. but you mentioned 61 and everything else, so I hope you had a great birthday.
3: I really did. I know Julie didn't want me to be gone for my birthday. I was out here in Midland with the rest of the the, the, the group and our, our crew and our team. And, um, yeah, they, they made me feel special. It was good. I got a, a tres neches cake last night from from one of our, our ladies here, Miss Nellie Herrera. Uh, such a sweetheart. And I didn't know what that was, Scott. I really don't know what it is. But, look, you talk about eat good for breakfast. It was uh, yeah, it was good. So I had a little tres neches birthday cake.
1: So I'm thinking good. about getting you a present, by the way, a Metropolitan's 92 jersey uh, that says "Ho you fat on the back. So I don't know. I'd wear it. You <laughs> Where? I would. I'd wear it. Where? Oh,
3: yeah. It- everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, I mean,
3: man. My, maybe not the mask, but everywhere else.
1: Happy belated birthday, Gerald. I appreciate you taking the time, man.
3: Always fun, my friend. Take care. Best of the family.
1: You got it. That is the G-man himself. Assault curling off the screen, driving baseline. Oh, you fat with a three. Yes, I just said that. That is that man's name. Don't tweet at me. I don't want to tweet from anybody. That's the man's name. So it was um, a game between uh, the the French team where Victor Winbanyama plays and a G-League team, the G-League Ignite. Um, and when Binyama is, you know, he's seven foot four, that can dribble like a point guard. Expected to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft next, uh, next summer, and that's why that game was being highlighted. And somehow, uh, ho you fat started trending. I was like, wait, what is what? Is, what? Oh, okay, it's interesting. Next hour. A cheating scandal, there's there's a lot of cheating scandals happening right now. There's a a cheating scandal in chess, in poker, in fishing. And why are these scandals getting more play than when cheating happens in like the NFL? What? I'll tell you next. Plus, Jake Madison from Locked On Pels is going to be joining me at 8.15. Talk about the preseason game last night. The outlook for the team. Too much hype. The right amount of hype. Not enough hype. We'll get in all that. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues after this. It's 1033 The GOAT. Simulcast on 1420 The GOAT. Greatest sports talk of all time.
0: 1033 The GOAT. Yeah, that's the one.
3: K277DQ Lafayette. 1420KPEL Lafayette. It's a good thing goats have four stomachs. Otherwise, there's no way we could swallow some of these takes.
0: Hey, goat! What's going on out there? 1033 the goat. The greatest sports talk of all time great scott the great scott show and as they head into the final furlong all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the great scott show the champion with scott prater steal the show Hello
1: everybody, welcome in to the great Scott Show, 103.3 The GOAT, greatest sports talk of all time, simulcast on 1420. I'm Scott Prather, we'll talk PELS at 8.15 with Jake Madison from Locked On, PELS. We've hit on Aaron Judge, hit on LSU, we've hit on UL. Apparently Tom Brady and Giselle are going through a divorce, that's unfortunate, they're hiring divorce lawyers. I'm not going to. I I, that's, you know, little ring jokes here or there are fine, but I'm not going to break down a whole situation. I don't think that's what you guys came here for. A cheating scandal. No, nothing with that. Although Tom Brady is kind of involved in this. This has nothing to do with his marriage. I'm talking about you probably saw over the weekend a video that was going viral of this giant fishing scandal we got weights and fish the lake erie walleye trail tournament ended when two fishermen were dq'd because they were using lead weights and filets and other things and fish you see one of them was already you know he hightailed it out of there he wouldn't get caught the other is sitting there and he's just Everyone is yelling at him. I can't play the audio. I mean, there's just expletives. I mean, you're talking about hundreds and thousands of dollars in prize money and other stuff by, you know, two fishermen who, according to various stories, there had been whispers in the sport for a while that they were they were somehow cheating. And a fishing tournament was set to award them $29,000, but more than that, they were going to finish the year as one of the top teams, which was then going to unlock another amount of money and a whole bunch of prizes and other things. And they went to the weigh-in, and it was just clear something was off. And the guy that handles the tournament and runs it all, who I believe is also a police officer, he rips open the fish with a knife, pulls out all this stuff, and and, and just in the moment, cheater is busted. He's sitting there, and the guy's like, call the police because if you don't, and they had police presence there because if not, the guy would have gotten hell beat out of him. It would have been bad. You're taking people's money. And there's, I've read more about it, and there's a backstory here. And one of the alleged cheaters apparently failed a lie detector test, which is big. All fishermen have to take polygraph tests upon request at these tournaments. And it's unfortunate for, you know, uh, the professional fishing and the sport because it's really the most pro fishing has ever been talked about. It's this cheating scandal. It's all over the place. I mean, I'm seeing it was on not just ESPN. It was on both the sports and the news tabloids. And then there was a moment from some poker game last week where there was talk of, I, I, I'm not good enough at poker to understand exactly what happened, but it it was the talk of the poker world. Did this woman cheat when she called this other guy with a jack high? Yeah, I don't know. I just know that in the poker world, it was all over the place. In chess, the big, the best chess players in the world are accusing one another of cheating. That was a few weeks ago. And I'm seeing all these things trending, and I'm seeing them talked about. I'm seeing this fishing story still have life after, you know, several days. And I'm like, a lot of people that are, including me, that are talking about this, that are following this story, don't even really follow these, quote, sports, if you want to call them all sports, whatever, these competitions. I won't call chess a sport, but I don't watch chess competition i don't watch fishing competition i don't watch professional poker poker had a moment in the mid-2000s where it was like everyone was kind of watching it briefly but it's it's got a big following meanwhile you know when spygate happens in the nfl and eric mangini a former staff member for the patriots now, they well, then the head coach of the Jets says, yeah, this, they did this illegal stuff, and then more comes out about it. And then there are these tapes, and oh, and the Rams are like, they illegally filmed one of our practices before the Super Bowl. And let's get the tape. And oh, no, the tape has been literally burned by the now commissioner, Roger Godot, who's was not the commissioner at the time, and there was punishment doled out and all this other stuff. And then, oh, okay. Here it is. That's it. Let's just just move on and now there's there's, Brady's still the goat they're still the best all this other stuff just kind of happened what I mean that this is the NFL this is a big deal ah now let's talk about fishing and I get the timelines are different I get one thing happened years back and I know it was a story for a little while but it kind of just went away doesn't get brought up much now and sometimes a moment will happen in a big sport when people are watching and it looks like cheating, and it's kind of just I remember being on these airwaves. Sixteen years ago when this around sixteen years ago. Do you remember in two thousand and six, Kenny Rogers, no not, no one to fold him, no one to hold him, but the pitcher Kenny Rogers at forty one years old that was just having this masterful season for the Tigers. And he pitches this game, national TV, Tigers-Cardinals, Kenny Rogers looks like clearly he was, he was cheating. He had some brown smudge on the palm of his pitching hand, and he looked just unhittable. It was 40 degrees out. It was cold. And Rogers is just... You know, saying no, oh, he didn't, he didn't, I didn't do anything. So it was just dirt. Tony La Russa felt different. Most felt different, but it was a feel-good story. Here are the Tigers who haven't done anything in a long time. Playing the Cardinals who have won a lot lately. Here's Kenny Rogers now at forty-one. Never a star, just trying to put it all together. Look at the crowd in Detroit. They're all going crazy. They're all having fun. Um, It was just blatant cheating, but yeah. And this is baseball, where they're supposed to care about cheating a bunch. I mean, heck, they're acting like Aaron Judge just set the all-time MLB record last night. He didn't. Barry Bonds owns that record. No matter how much you want to act like he doesn't. To the old baseball purist, but the day after, I'm on the air and, and 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 everyone's like, national media as well. They're like, "Hey, might have been cheating, whatever." And a lot of people cheat, whatever. It's baseball. I'm like, what? You pick and choose what's a big deal and what's not. And baseball's been doing it for years. We're gonna make steroids the big deal, but all the other cheating, eh, it's all right. We're going to make it such a big deal that in an era when a, a a lot of players were juicy, not just the ones hitting home runs, I'm sure pitchers were and others were around the league as well, but we're just going to judge that differently and give judge a home run record, even though it's not a record, we'll just act like it is and write about it. Meanwhile, Kenny Rogers is out there in a playoff game in a huge moment. Clearly, clearly. Gunk on his hand when the game starts. And then, you know, at some point, start asking questions and it's gone. And he said, that hey, was just dirt. I get it. Pitchers do whatever they can. They'll put snot on a ball. They'll carve it up. I'm not, I'm not even here to judge. I'm not even upset about it. I didn't care. I was just surprised at the time. But now, as I'm older, in my wisdom, I would say that sports fans, sports media, pick and choose the cheating that they think is important and the cheating that they think is not. And sometimes it has to do with, well, what is the league putting out there? league didn't want a bunch of Spygate stuff. They didn't want a lot of coverage. Roger Goodell literally burnt the tape. Destroyed evidence. What the hell, what is that good for? Now, oh, Bounty Gate, even though everyone's doing it, well, we got to act like we care about player safety, so let's just shoot this to the moon and give all of the media all the information we can, even some of it that is misquoted and misguided. And a lot of times, the media will bite hook, line, and sinker unless there's, you know, a weight in the fish and this cheating scandal. I'm sorry, I'm getting off track. And then oftentimes, fans will kind of follow. But you got cheating scandals in chess, poker, and fishing over the last few weeks, and it gets more play than a lot of other cheating in bigger sports, bigger moments. Just an observation. But one you know I'm right about. I observed the Pelicans last night for four quarters. I set up late to watch a preseason basketball game. You're dang right I did. And I enjoyed it. It was fun. Are the expectations for the Pelicans this year too high, too low, just right? What about that over-under winning bet total? What can you take away from a preseason opener? We'll talk to Jake Madison from Locked On Pels next as he joins me right here on The Great Scott Show on 103.3 The Goat, simulcast on 1420, the greatest sports talk of all time.
3: If it's not The Goat, then they're full of sheep. 103.3 The Goat. The greatest sports talk
1: of all time. Welcome back into the great Scott show. One oh three, three, the goat simulcast on 1420. The greatest sports talk of all time. Joining me now, as promised from locked on Pels. The daily podcast covering the Pelicans. He has been doing it for years. I know because I've listened to him for many years. Jake Madison, our guest. Now, Jake, how how many seasons is this now heading into this one for you covering the professional basketball team in New Orleans?
2: years at this point being credentialed and covering the team and this will be year six of Locked On Pelicans so it's seems like close to 2,000 episodes or whatever the number ends up being.
1: Holy cow man a dozen years 2,000 episodes that's awesome I mean I I've followed this team since the day they moved there I remember being at Loyola in college and Cox asked some college kids to help with the camera crews and Kind of getting to carry the wires, but getting to be court-sided games. Even though I was working and, and doing PA and for a preseason game back for the uh, the oh four oh five Hornets, and then just following them through the ups and downs, lot of downs. But Jake, the uh, the excitement level is palpable. I I've felt it a few times at a few little moments, an issue with this franchise, but. It feels different this year, doesn't it? I would imagine you, I mean, you probably know just from the listeners and the interest in your podcast, you have your hardcore fans, but it seems like there's a lot more people on board heading into this season. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. This, feels different than it's ever been before. And I think it's a combination of a young team that exceeded expectations last season. You also have a guy in Zion Williamson making his return after, as we saw last night, it's been over 500 days since he last played a competitive game. This team feels like it's built for the long haul. There's stability too, with virtually every player being on a long-term contract, it makes it easy for people to buy in. When you put in, you know, factor in a head coach like Willie Green, who's really likable. This group plays with a certain style of ball that I think resonates with the city in this region a good bit. It makes people really want to pay attention. And I think the hype train's probably off the, off the rails right now after last night's win over the Chicago Bulls.
1: Jake, before we uh, move further on the Pelicans, I forgot to ask you, what's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time?
2: It's got to be Sabotage. Also partially because of the music video being so funny, I think, with the fake cops and the mustaches and everything.
1: It's classic. It's classic. It's classic. It works. There's really no other song quite like it in history, and uh, nothing wrong with that answer at all. It's one of the more popular ones, that, and Fight for Your Right, but nothing wrong with that. I like it. Uh, Gets you fired up. We talked about it. Folks are fired up for this season. You mentioned Zion. Let's start with him. From a national standpoint, the team gets covered differently with Zion than without. Even though we saw the turnaround last season, we followed it closely. Nationally, he just, he's a, he's a, he's a hot, it's just a hot topic, right? Um, Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it might be, people talk about it. And when he's smiling and he's happy and he's healthy and he's showing the burst that he showed at times last night, then the coverage typically is good. And when he's not, it's overreaction, but Let's 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 push the national media to side. From a local standpoint, what are some things that you really need and want to see out of Zion heading into the season, aside from the obvious, which is, you know, look, stay healthy.
2: Yeah, that's the most important one, right? But I think what you wanted to see from him in last night's game, he absolutely showed you. Two years ago, when he was twenty years old, he made an all-star team and was probably a top-five offensive talent in the league, and a guy that no one really had any idea how to defend and stop, and someone that kind of completely bent in defenses and opened up things for his teammates a whole lot. He averaged 27.7 rebounds during that stretch. You know, he was getting close to five, six assists per night when they went full-on point Zion with him you just need to get back to some of that. And I think you saw very much so that he is back last night that he's healthy. He still has that quick first step, the explosive burst. I thought he was even jumping a little bit higher on some of the rebounds that he was getting when he was really going up for them. So you wanted just to see that that version of Zion, the all-star offensive player version of Zion was back and I I I think that's Already the case. We don't need to see any more from him in preseason. But I think shocked me so much with him last night, and if this carries over to the regular season, uh, people are going to get even more excited. And the league probably needs to watch out. And that was what he did defensively. And it started with that chase down block from behind. They called a goaltend, and I don't even care if the refs miss a call or not on that. The fact that he attempted to make a play like that and could make a play like that—that that looked like Duke Zion, where he was a menace defensively. But that's on a court that's spaced worse than an NBA court is. The three point line is closer. So players are you know, more condensed closer to each other. It's easier to do that. We haven't seen that from Zion at the NBA level, but he was really active last night defensively. His arms were in the passing lanes. He grabbed a steel and forced another turnover. If he's doing that, and making some of those instinctual defensive plays that he made at Duke along with his offensive talent you're looking at a guy that if the Pelicans are winning will absolutely be in the mvp conversation this season
1: to your point Jake Madison our guest i mean we we just haven't seen that on the defensive end from him in the nba that collegiate block rate that steal rate it hasn't been there but you know what? Having a personal trainer, having a personal chef, being in quote, the best shape of, 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 of his life, end quote. Uh I think that that's the part of the game to me, and I'm with you. I'm glad you said it, that I want to see this year. Because I, I know that when he's healthy, I know what he can do offensively. And obviously if he's in better shape, he can, you know, he can do it at an even higher level. But defensively, that's the thing that hadn't translated yet in the eighty five, you know, regular season games we've seen him in. Uh to see that last night to your point. Was great. Let's let's take a look at a couple of the starters from last night. Herb Jones, unfortunately, uh, had that rib contusion. Glad it's preseason, so he'll be able to get it up. But you know, um, we saw him last year have a shot better than we thought. But we've also heard that he was just working with Fred Vinson you know, religiously on that shot. And he, seeing him knock down those threes last night on several occasions, you know what he can do on defense, but. If he can open up that part of his game, Jake, it just opens up the offense that much more and certainly his game. But uh, what is your expectation for Herb Jones on the offensive side of the ball this season?
0: Yeah,
2: you'd like to see him just continue to improve his three-point shot. I think if he became a slightly more consistent three-point shooter, he started off better than we thought and then kind of faded, I thought, at the end of last season. That's all you really need from him you know, people are going to still teams are still going to double Zion Williamson. They're going to look to take him away. You need shooters to make teams pay. There's very few players in the league who will actively space the court for Zion Williamson. Not when that guy scores at 70% at the rim, that's the equivalent of a 45 plus percent shooter from three. So unless you're hitting 50% of your threes on high volume, teams are going to leave you open and they're going to double Zion if those are the two choices. So you need shooters to make teams pay when they do double Zion. And as one of the worst three point shooting teams, in the league last season, that wouldn't work this year. So Herb Jones, just getting his three point shot a little bit more consistent. That's the way that he can really contribute to this offense on the first sort of level. And he opened the game by hitting that three last night, which was a welcome sight. He was pretty aggressive though. And so if you can have him working off ball and he does cut pretty well and he can get to the rim, I think that just makes it a little bit easier too. you're going to see a number of different guys handle the ball this year. You'll see point Zion. You'll see CJ McCollum be the point guard. And then you'll see Brandon Ingram also be the primary creator. So this gives other guys the opportunity to work around them. And I think that's what Herb Jones can do when those guys have the ball and Herb Jones follows them on a cut and they pass the ball to him. Yeah. Take that shot. Because there's so many other threats, you're likely either going to be open or in one-on-one coverage, and if you believe in your shot and you believe in what you're doing offensively, take it. It's probably going to be a a good look for you. And so I think seeing that aggressiveness from Herb Jones, just adding another credible threat on there that you can't just completely ignore is going to do wonders for this team, and it's a big reason why they could be a top-five offense this year.
1: The second unit last night, Jake, a lot of cohesion. Some of that has to do with continuity. They kind of, you know, they've, they've played together before. They worked out in the off season. I know it's preseason game one. I mean, Chicago looked pretty sloppy in the first half, but overall, and I, I know that, you know, Trey Murphy didn't play, and, and Brandon Ingram, the starter, didn't play, and Kira Lewis is close to coming back, but not quite yet. But from the second unit you saw last night, I mean, it was kind of all thumbs up there for a while. Uh, you don't want to overreact to a preseason game, but... You also, I guess you'd prefer to see what they did last night instead of coming up, coming out and, and stinking up the joint because I thought the ball movement from the second unit was just fantastic.
2: They, they were a wrecking ball for a little bit. That's why the Pelicans got out to a 19-point lead. It wasn't the starters. It was that second unit that came in there and played this kind of chaotic, fun style of basketball. They were really active defensively. They were getting stops, and then they were getting out in transition and running, and it was working in the... Chicago Bulls just couldn't keep up with them whatsoever. I don't know if that's going to be the most realistic thing we're going to be able to see from them during the regular season And the lack of Brandon Ingram probably played into the unit playing together too, because I do think you can at least keep one of, if not two of Zion B I and CJ McCollum out there on the court at all times. So I don't think you need like a true second unit like that necessarily when you can keep one of your star players out there. And once they got into the half court, they really did struggle, but if they can get out and give you five good minutes, I think if you're winning those minutes, you're going to be happy with that. You don't need your bench to outscore opponents, not at least with this kind of top heavy lineup for new Orleans. You need your bench just to not lose you a lead and to play even with uh, opposing unit. So if they can do that, that's, I think a very big win for new Orleans. And those guys might have certain roles with that. You know, Jackson, Hayes being an energy guy at the bench that gives everyone an outlet around the rim. Devonte Graham was running that offense very, very well, getting into mid range, taking what the defense gave him and making that shot. You have Jose Alvarado too, who just makes plays continually just makes plays. He was great there. I, again, I don't know if you'll see those lineups during the regular season, and that's also those Those were the lineups that started to lose the Pelicans the game in the fourth quarter a little bit too once Dyson Daniels was in there. But I think there's something there, and if maybe you kind of merge one of those second units like that with a guy like CJ out there for longer, that could lead to something special.
1: Yeah, you, Jake Madison, our guest, is the great sketch at through The Goat. You just made a great point, Jake, that I was going to follow up with you, but you already answered the question. I get asked a lot from folks that are interested in the Pelicans. Hey, you know, where are they going to get scoring in the second unit consistently? And I'm like, if if the roster is healthy, you're not going to have, as you put it, sort of this entire second unit. When with now that Zion is there, and you have McCollum, and he's going to have a whole training camp and everything else, and obviously Ingram, you're going to scatter those minutes with the second unit. So, you know, yes, uh, if you just look at the bench as a whole, you could say, man, where are you going to get consistent scoring? But that's just not how Willie Green's going to approach it, you know. Knock on wood, unless he has to because of you know health reasons. So it was great to see that energy last night in the second unit scoring the way that, you know, that that's suitable for that those kind of players that were out there. But to your point, you know, in the regular season, it's not going to be like all right, let's just just throw the whole bench out there and let them just go and, and be high energy guys. They're going to mix and match, and you know, I, I from a scoring standpoint. What what do you feel like the Pelicans need under their score? Do you feel like they're going to have enough this season with the roster that they have in place right now?
2: I don't think they do. I, I know a lot of people want to trade for someone like um, Jordan Clarkson from Utah and bring in like a, a true sixth man or something like that, and I just don't see the need to give up assets for a player like that because you have so much offensive potential here. I don't know how anyone stops this team, especially if a guy like Trey Murphy comes along to give you another three-point shooter, let alone a deep three-point shooter, which is what he's been doing in training camp, shooting from their four-point line on the court, which actually does space the court for Zion Looms in a regular season game, shooting from that far back. That's the type of thing I think that can add to this team internally and don't need to go external for it. Look, you have Zion, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum and a host of other good enough role players offensively, you're going to be able to score. B I is going to give you something like 24 points per game this season, Zion could go above 30. If everything goes right for him and CJ going to get you 20 and it's going to get more wide open three-point looks than he's ever had before. Their offense is not going to be a problem for this team. They should be a top five offense, if not the best offense in the league. There's that much talent here. I think the concern for them is what will they look like defensively, which we talked a little bit about earlier, but offensively, they have more than enough firepower to be an elite offense in the NBA this season.
1: Jake Madison, our guest, Dyson Daniels, Dan Daniels. I mean, we got to see him last night. And I don't know how big a part of the rotation he's going to be out of the gate. But I think he will be the one potential part of the rotation that's new. And I get that that Kira got hurt last year and Zion missed all those games. But the entire roster, for the most part, that you expect to see get minutes this year have been together in, in some way, shape, or form, with the exception of the young rookie who, you know, at 19, from a defensive standpoint, very polished. I mean that—that's what stood out to me last night. And yeah, you saw him late in the game, with um, you know some guys that are on two-way contracts, some guys for both teams that you know frankly won't be on regular season rosters and will be G League guys. But even when he was out there, you know earlier in the second half when he was going up against starters, confidence wasn't rattled when he'd miss a shot. Didn't seem didn't seem frazzled at all. What did you make of of Dyson Daniels' debut? And I'll ask you the follow-up now. How much a part of the rotation do you expect him to be at any point this season?
2: Yeah, I thought he was good. He he closed out the game and helped the Pelicans get this victory, which is not easy for a rookie to come in and do, let alone playing with, to be honest, you could call him a bunch of scrubs, right? Those are guys that are going to be on the Birmingham squadron, not playing in the NBA this season. And he still managed to scrape by and get the win with that group while leading them. I think that says a lot about him as a player. And as you mentioned, kind of the mental part of everything. You know, he looked a little bit lost in the beginning, but then really quickly settled down. And it took him a, I, it's until late in his run, late in the second half, for him to score his first point. It might have been in the fourth quarter. And I thought he'd scored a bunch already because he felt that impactful out there on the court. The defense was definitely there. You could see some of the passing. You know, at 6'8 and being a guard, he's got very good vision, being able to see over people. And you saw that behind the back. Dish to Billy Hernan Gomez for a three at one point, that was what you want to see out of him. I, I wasn't worried about the shooting. We knew that that was going to be a work in progress for him. It seems like he knows that that's a work in progress too. So he just wanted to be able to impact the game in other ways. He definitely did that through leadership, passing defense too. And he said after the game, he said he's happy with how his debut went. I think that's the type of mentality you want him to have. Everyone's been r- raving about him in training camp. They feel that even though he seems like an odd man out to start the year, he'll be getting rotation minutes by the uh, by the middle of the year. Whose minutes he takes, I don't know. There's kind of a premium on minutes right now. There's not a ton for people that are new to the team or trying to carve out a role. But it seems like it's going to be impossible to keep him off the court.
1: Jake Madison, our guest, 44.5 is the the over under line on a lot of the various betting websites for the pelicans. I'm not asking you to give people betting advice Jake because you know what if you're trying to get it from me or you I mean I don't think you you know you, you're you're a big gambler on the side. I could be wrong, I don't want to judge. I'm just I don't want your thoughts on on over unders or plus minuses as far as payouts go. I just want your thoughts on this team and the expectation. 44 and a half is that, a right, is, that, is that the right number to shoot for? I mean, is this an over? Are they better? You know, 36 and 46 last year, but if you watch the team like you and I do, we know how the season played out. We know the story behind why their record was what it was. And, of course, they surged late and got into the playoffs, and it was fun. 44 and a half. You thinking over or under here?
2: I feel like that's a little bit low. And I felt that when the numbers came out originally, even before we saw Zion look like he did last night. And I remember when that number came out, a lot of people said, well, we need to wait and see Zion and how he looks. And it, Zion adds at least probably 12 wins to the team last year. If he's fully healthy all season long, and that gets you to that 44, 45 number. Or so, so I think it's above that. And then you look at the internal growth from the team, the ability to improve on defense, that those type of things, you know, I, I think are going to win the Pelicans more games this year than what Vegas and odds makers are putting out there. But you also need to look at some of the deeper statistics after that CJ C. McCollum trade. They played 600 basketball when both CJ and Brandon Ingram started. B.I. missed some games after the CJ McCollum trade. And once they found their footing and integrated CJ a little bit, this team was good. And that's why they made it into the postseason. That's why they were able to give the Suns a run for their money in the first round. So it feels like that number should be a little bit higher, I think. But the, the problem is the West is tough. The West is really, really tough. So we can set expectations of closer to 50 wins, 48 wins, whatever you want. They don't control, you know, what other teams are going to do in terms of their seeding, And I think that's what they're ultimately really looking at. They'd like to avoid the playing tournament, but might not because the West is so difficult. So setting expectations for this Pelicans team in terms of wins, in terms of seeding, it's kind of hard because the West is deep this year.
1: Jake, the team is locked up lot of these guys for multiple years you know we we whether it's zion whether it's uh ingram whether it's cj mccullum and larry nance who signed their extensions i mean they got Jonas this season and next and you've you've got uh, jackson hayes is you know he's in the last year of his rookie deal but overall when you look at that decision to lock up this core and and really roll with it and i think it goes back to what you and i were talking about earlier is and i'm kind of with you i I don't think they need to go out and get a Clarkson. I think you've you've got some pieces in place, and you got Zion through the the 27-28 season, CJ through 25-26, Dyson on his rookie deal through that long as well, B.I. through 24-25, Nance through 24-25, Trey on a rookie deal through 24-25, Alvarado through 24-25, Jonas through 23-24, Herbs on a rookie deal through 23-24. I mean, that's... Gomez as well. You know, Graham is signed through 24-25. Who knows if they'll be there that long or not. But, you know, everybody kind of, I say everybody, a lot of folks look at all those things and they start thinking about tradable numbers. And I'm like, look, man, with that luxury tax right there, kind of in the shadows, paying your roster now, keeping it locked up, it says a lot about how they feel about it. Was that the right move, having all these guys locked up? I'm asking you today. The answer might change a few years from now, but... I liked it. I like that decision. Where are you at with their decision to make it a point to lock up a lot of these guys? I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of players in the rotation, Jake, that are under contract for a while. I, 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 don't, I could look at every team in the NBA, but I don't think that's the norm when you start looking at all the other 29 teams.
2: No, I think it was the right move. This is a team that made the postseason last year and you add Zion back into the mix. And when you look at the complementary players they have, those are guys that fit around Zion really well. This has also been a place that isn't historically a big free agent destination. You're not going to clear cap space to make a run at guys. They tried to do this the other year. They tried to get Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, they cleared out money. They were paying those guys more than what they signed for. And they still couldn't get him to come to new Orleans. You got to lock up the guys that you have if they're good. And I think that was the smart move. It adds some stability to this team, um, some consistency to this team, something they really haven't had over the past four or five seasons. I think that goes a really long way. If They believe in the coaching staff. They believe in their player development. If that's the case, they're going to end up being pretty good with a bunch of homegrown guys that fans have rooted for for a number of years. It makes it really easy to buy in and support a team like that, and I think that's what the Pelicans are really hoping to do. This team will get expensive. That's part of the problem of drafting well, that guys get extensions, they get paid more money, and it pushes you close to the luxury tax. So people might move on from now, or they might get traded just due to cost, which is unfortunate, but that's kind of how it goes in the NBA. But certainly right now, for where the Pelicans are positioned for this season and subsequent seasons, it seems like it was the right move.
1: Jake Madison, our guest, lastly, I I spoke about this last year during the playoff run. We'll see what happens this season. You know, the hardcores are going to be there the whole way. I think you'll have some more that kind of jumped on the wagon, pay attention earlier than they normally do. But I think a big key with this core, aside from the play on the court, which is obvious, is it feels like, Jake, from the outside, that that relationship with the fan base, with this group, has been built organically. Right, it didn't feel, and I know that when Griff Griffin took over executive VP of basketball operations, he talked about culture. He talked about bringing love in the building. He talked about what he wanted to build, and it took a few years. And they struck out with Van Gundy; it was a bad hire. But the culture he talked about so much on day one, it feels like it's finally there. And as a result, you know, for years it was like these this, this franchise would have a little pocket of success, but it always felt like this ticking clock, like. Well, now the stars are going to say, tell me why I need to stick around. And with this core, we talked about all the guys under contract, so the clock's not necessarily ticking, but it feels like they're they're kind of in on, let's, let's keep building this thing together instead of, man, give me a reason why I need to stick around. And as a result, I think, you know, the fan base, New Orleans, South Louisiana in general, those that are sports fans, like they've they they they've they know the history of this franchise whether they know it well or not they kind of know the history at least from the superstar standpoint of it and it's turned some folks sour and it feels like that's finally turned and that's why this pocket of success to me feels like it's sustainable not just for the team on the floor but to really keep and continue to grow this fan base because they're building it a certain way. The guys in the locker room have bought in. And as a result, I think a lot of fans have bought in as well because it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel fake. And when you build it organically from a fan-team relationship standpoint, that has staying power, man. And I, and I think that's a big part of not just to play on the floor, but why fans are so excited about the team going into this year.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, this team is kind of representative of New Orleans and the Gulf South region overall, I think. And it's that culture that, as you mentioned, David Griffin has been trying to build for a number of years, has has missed a lot on achieving that, but has finally gotten it right. And when it works, it really works, as you saw. I also think you you find these type of players that resonate with the city. Jose Alvarado being a very big underdog story. Same for Herb Jones, the guy that was taken in the second round, should not be having the sort of success that he has, and yet look at him and how impactful he is as a defender and hopefully an offensive player this season. You have Brandon Ingram, who's a superstar, that just wants to play basketball and seems to really like it here and has embraced you know, the city and the region as well. And then you have Zion just being the box office draw. And so it's a young team with a lot of compelling stories that people can really kind of attach themselves to And they're winning. And I think that's a real big part of it too. So winning basketball with a bunch of likable dudes, yeah, you're going to get people to really buy in. I think it also probably helps to a degree that the Saints are struggling to put it kindly this year right now. People are going to be paying more attention to this. And it just feels like there's a lot of untapped potential with this Pelicans team. They did what last year and didn't have Zion and you're going to add him into the mix. That's the type of thing that's going to get people excited. So I think you're going to see more sellouts early on in the year in the Smoothie King center. You know, I think you'll see this team being kind of the top of the town in the, in the region a whole lot more than they normally would be. We're not going to be waiting until Christmas day to really focus on basketball. I think this could really be a year. that the Pelicans are kind of center stage for a lot of people. Jake
1: Madison has been our guest at Nola Jake on Twitter the Locked On Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Network. Uh, Jake's been hosting it for many years. He's been covering the team for a dozen years, and uh, I've listened to his pod over the years. I enjoy it. He brings it, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Jake, man, it's been a while since I've had you on the show, brother, but I appreciate you uh, getting up this morning, talking some Pels with me, and look forward to this season, and I look forward to talking Pels with you more in the future. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Scott. You got it. That is Jake Madison, guys. Go give him a follow. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back. The home run. Why are people calling it the home run record? The home run. I get it. Oh, it's the AL record. Okay, the AL record. A lot of people aren't even using the words AL. What's going on here? What are we trying to do? We're trying to put a genie back in the bottle? Aaron Judge hit 62, and a guy that said... I'm going for this thing. I will put my body at risk and really wasn't even close. I'll explain. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues after this short timeout on 103.3 The Goat Simulcast on 1420. The greatest sports talk of all time. (laughs)
0: 103.3 The Goat. I don't care how fast you are or how big you are. Somebody's going to be faster and somebody's going to be bigger. The greatest sports talk of all time. (laughs) Buckle up, boys. Time to go to work. 1033, let go.
1: Back in to the great Scott show 1033 The GOAT simulcast on 1420. Brad Topham's just sending me texts making fun of me. My Mets blowing a 10 and a half game lead in the NL East that they held on June 1st, despite playing 20 plus games over 500. Damn Braves. The Mets have only won 100 games or more in a season four times ever. We're having this great season and I can't enjoy it. Go play in a wild card round this weekend. Fed up if you win, go play the Dodgers. All right. Sorry. Y'all don't want to hear that. Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you enjoy hearing me in pain. It's pain everywhere. Just pain. All over. Just pain. That's probably what the jabroni who decided he was going to leap over the railing. In an attempt to catch Judge's 62nd home run, ball was feeling. I don't know how far that drop is, but it ain't. It, it, it's not just a few feet. If you see Aaron Judge's 62nd home run, and of course they've probably played it on ESPN. I don't know. I'd say probably about twenty-seven thousand times in the last few hours. You see one guy catch it, and he, like, lifts his mitt up. And then there's a guy, like, ten seats to the left that almost looks like he's falling from the railing. But, no, he was it was it was a decision to just go for it. I'm going to go down there and get it. I guess when you get it, like, what is what happens? Does security come and get you? They have to remove you. But you can't give them the ball. You got to protect that thing. What, do you just put it in your pants? You're like, hey, you try to get this ball, you'll be arrested. You can arrest me. You ain't getting this, you ain't getting this baseball. But I love that the dude just went for it. It wasn't even I get it. You know what? Even though he wasn't close to it, you know what? Like the like the home run in Toronto. Maybe someone will drop it. The Rangers won the game, by the way. Not that anyone cares. Part of this is your old baseball riders. And I do mean old. That refused to acknowledge the steroid era, even though I guarantee you every single one of those riders was wetting themselves, excuse me, back whenever McGuire and Sosa were having the run to 62, probably loved every second of it. And then a few years later, they're like, oh, this was a travesty. It's the steroids. I'm not defending guys getting juiced up. Steroids aren't good for you. That's not what I'm doing. But as I said at the beginning of this hour, folks kind of pick and choose in sports, particularly some baseball writers, what they want to be sanctimonious about and what they want to say, yeah, that's all right. John Heyman can write all he wants. The judge is MLB's rightful record holder. Nah. Until someone hits 74... Let's, Bonds has the record. You can pretend like it doesn't exist, that it's somehow not authentic. It is. And it's memorable to a whole lot of fans. There's no escaping it. I don't care how much you cut in during a college football game and anger everyone watching. Shout out to the NBA on TNT. Even in a preseason game, they know their audience. We're going to be cutting into some at bat. It's got to be 74. It probably will never happen. And yes, Barry Bonds did do steroids, and so did a ton of players in that entire era and pitchers and all kinds of stuff. And folks were cheating before they were doing steroids. And they were, you know. Cheating's been going on in baseball forever. Steroids is the ones everybody wants to get high and mighty about. you pick picking shoes. And Aaron Judge is a good player, and he's going to get paid an obscene amount of money and good for him. And if I had caught that home run ball, I would have held that thing and sold it to the highest bidder, no question about it. But let's, let's not act like he holds the record. Because he doesn't. He doesn't. Darren Ravel, by the way, plug that he is tweeted out that the guy that, that caught the home run ball was some vice president of a huge company that's worth you know 197 billion dollars. No, he's not. Don't know anything about him, but Ravel just Google's the guy's name and it's like, oh, must be this guy, and then tweets it out to his millions of followers, which just. Irresponsibility. It's not like he had a unique name, like you know, Ho You Fat. Wait, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't hear that last night? A song curling off the screen, driving baseline. Ho You Fat with a three. Yes, I just said that. That is that man's name. Don't tweet
0: at me. I don't want a tweet from anybody. That's you the man's can. name.
1: That is the man's name. He's from France. Who knows? Reveal my tweet his name and make something up. Tomorrow, Nasty Nick, Big Blaze in studio. They haven't joined me in a while. They will tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. The Dan Patrick Show is next on 103.3 The Goat. Simulcast on 1420.